I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This edition of Where to Go is sponsored by WH Smith. Get 25% off our new book, Ride Cycle the World, now in store at whsmith.co.uk or via the link in our episode bio. Hello and welcome to Where to Go, where we escape to a different part of the world every two weeks. I'm James Atkinson, brand manager at DKR Witness, and in this week's special episode, I'm going to take you to a few places by bicycle, actually. So um, today we are celebrating the publication of our new book, Ride, Cycle the World, and we'll be talking to some of the writers behind the book, as well as some of the editors behind the book, too, about their favourite cycling journeys. The book itself features over 100 incredible cycling journeys from across the globe, There are on and off road routes for all types of cyclists, whether you're setting out on your first cycle tour or you're a seasoned pro at it. The routes will guide you up mountain passes in Italy's Dolomites to tackling Bolivia's infamous death road in South America, or you could choose to cycle the famous Cape to Cairo route across Africa or go island hopping in Japan. Uh, So if all that sounds fun, then, you know, listen on and you will find some wonderful cycling inspiration from the book. So we'll firstly speak to Rachel Laidler and Elspeth Bedus, the editors of Ride Cycle the World, to hear about how the book came about, how they found out about some of the cyclists and routes featured inside the book, and some of their own personal favourite rides. Uh, so hi, Elspeth. Hi, Rachel. Hello. Welcome. Uh, it's great to have you guys back on. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you. For some eagle-eared listeners, uh, you may remember Elspeth and Rachel joined us for our sort of 2021 special, so it's great to have you guys back. Um and I guess we'll start by uh, talking about Ride Cycle the World and uh, just asking the question about how the book came about. Um, yeah, I'll kick off. Uh, so it started, we had uh, a sort of a new ideas week at work, really, where we had mm. new project ideas to sort of work up. And one of the ideas we wanted to do was a cycling book. So there's quite a few of us on the team who cycle. So we were sort of mm-hmm. all tasked with coming up with a concept for a book on cycling. Um, so we had a week where we kind of brainstormed ideas um, and 
yeah, our experiences of cycling and holidays and cycling and what we would want to see in a book. Um, yeah, I'll let Rachel say a bit more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I think from there we really went on to thinking about who the audience of the book would be. And like Elspeth said, mm. because all of us who were who were working on the book were all cyclists, um, we kind of had an idea about what what we'd want from it. But one of the things was was trying to work out what our audience's motivations would be for cycling mm-hmm. um, because it, it it's not necessarily – I think sometimes there's a belief that there's like a single type of cyclist out there, um, the yeah. lycra clad salt. Um, and, and, <laughs> the, the, the mammal. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Using that word, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry by anyone who's insulted by that. Apparently that stands for middle-aged man in lycra, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. the one, yeah. So we didn't want it to just be – to be like a focus on um, a single sort of cyclist. We wanted mm. it to be, because there's so many different motivations, I think, for why you go cycling. Sometimes it can be for the physical challenge of it. Sometimes it's for just sit, getting out and seeing beautiful scenery. And then mm-hmm. for other people, it's a way to like take in different sites and, and culture along the way. So, you know, we, we, we realized, I think, from, from looking at the different motivations that we wanted the audience for the book to be quite broad and and yep. to really champion the fact that cycling um is for everyone i suppose yeah because i think um uh and correct me if i'm wrong but the the idea that week where you kind of uh brainstormed the book and kind of came up with it was was before lockdown really and you know when we were back in the office <laughs> which feels like a lifetime ago um but obviously cycling has kind of kicked into a different realm since then really and um and obviously a lot of people have started cycling a hell of a lot more during lockdown um, and I think it really kind of shows in the book that there are kind of rides for, um, you know, if you're doing your kind of, if you've started cycling in lockdown, you want to kind of take it to the next level, right? Yeah, I think I think that's definitely the case. And I mean, I know that I started off commuting into work. That's how I first started mm. cycling. And, and that kind of got me into it. And I definitely wasn't. I mean, there's some rides in the book that are, are absolutely, they're just like massive multi-day kind of epic adventures. Yeah. Um, and I feel like I'm still like working my way towards those ones. But then you've got like day, day long cycles or um, ones that are a couple of days and that aren't necessarily like too challenging. So I think we've got, we've definitely got something in there for everybody, whatever your like skill level is or your ability level is with cycling. Yeah, and the books the book is kind of full of uh, things like elevation profiles and and sort of tips and hints as well, right? To try and make it a little bit easier for people or to get them to understand the skill level involved. Yeah, I mean that was something we were very conscious of is we wanted to provide really useful practical information, but we did we didn't want to be prescriptive because obviously everyone's got different needs and cycles at different levels, so we don't want to say this is easy, this is hard. Uh, we just wanted to give people the facts and then they can make their own mind up about whether they want to do it. So we've made sure that we've got like the distance and then we've got the total mm-hmm. elevation for every ride and a little elevation profile with a little graph showing all of the climbs, which can be quite scary on some of the rides. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and we've got maps for all of them as well. So um, so you can actually see the route and um, highlights that, that you'll pass on the way. Yeah, because the maps are a big part of it, and they look beautiful in the book as well. Uh, that's big props to Casper who uh, who developed some of those. Um, but yeah, I mean, some of the elevation profiles you do see some scary, scary highs, don't you? I think uh, there's one route in Scotland, I think, where where there's just like 
but it's flat, 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 and then suddenly it's it's almost like a right angle going upwards, right? Yeah, I think that might be um, that might be the Bialik Nabar, which I that's I think it. I've been roped into doing now. Um, so that, <laughs> that's going to be fun. But yeah, that that starts off as like from from my understanding of it, like a, quite a winding a winding ascent, and then all of a sudden, just to like you know um, make you really hurt at the end, it's got um, I think it's got switchbacks that go up to like twenty percent. Um, so yeah, it, it, it looks, it looks quite tough, but the elevation profile for that definitely lets you know what you're, um, what you're in for. <laughs> and, uh, obviously with a book like this, like you kind of, um, I mean, you guys have done a brilliant job of pulling together sort of a team of about over 20, uh, different kind of cyclists and writers and, and, you know, with various different, uh, kind of experiences, various places in the world that they live as well. Uh, how did you go about finding those cyclists and how did you almost narrow it down to like some of the, the best writers? I suppose there was a lot of a lot of research involved initially, um, but mm. we were actually amazed. So we looked at a, a lot of things like cycling magazines or articles in newspapers and books and like blogs as well, cycling blogs. And um, yeah, we, we found actually a, a whole kind of range of people that way. And it was amazing to see the the variety of experience that a lot of people had. And it, it was interesting as well, because it wasn't just like uh, cycling um, writers and, and journalists, um, although we've got quite a few um, of, of those folk who've contributed to the book, but it was also people who are like endurance athletes, um, mm. cycling athletes, um, they'd done like cycle racing, um, quite a few bloggers as well. And and so, yeah, it was just a whole a whole mix of people um, that that ended up coming to, to write for us. I think we've got something like, is it 40 authors? Over yeah. 40 authors in total? Yeah. Uh, it's it's, it's over 40. Yeah. I was totally wrong with 20. <laughs> <laughs> oh, did you say 20? Sorry, I'm not sneakily correcting you there. I didn't mean to do that. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I deserve to be corrected. That's uh, a <laughs> stand corrected. Um, but yeah, yeah, like 40 authors over, over 100 routes as well. And and as you say, they kind of, they really, the routes really, really range from different like kind of levels of expertise and stuff. And I guess your cyclists that you've got different, like probably road specialists, um, uh, people who are more kind of off-road, um, uh, different sort of bike specialists as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, we had, yeah. Um, we, we had, so Lee Craigie, who is actually a professional mountain bike racer. I think mm-hmm. she, I think she represented team GB in the World Championships and then Scotland in the Commonwealth Games. Um, and yeah, so I think she's into a lot of like off-road kind of mountain biking. Um, and we also had Cass, um, Cass Gilbert, who he's done a lot of backcountry bikepacking stuff. Um, and he actually set up, I think he helped set up one of the routes in the book, um, the Trans-Ecuador mountain bike route, I think it's called. Um, mm-hmm. and, and that basically like traces a line down the, um, the volcanic spine of, of Ecuador. So it's, um, yeah, it's, it, we've got a whole variety of, of people and, and folk who are, who are road cyclists as well. Um, so yeah, it was a good, it was a good collection. Yeah. I mean, just to add to that, I mean, one thing that we were really keen on as well is that we wanted all of the writers to have actually ridden the rides that they're yeah. writing about yeah. in the book. So that was mm. a big thing we were looking for is, yeah, people who'd actually done the routes. So we, they had the first-hand experience to describe the experience. To describe it were you, were you asking for proof <laughs> you demand, like a photograph or some kind of memento from the room well the, the yeah. good thing was that quite quite a lot of them had um gpx routes which is basically like a map mm. that you can um 
you can download and put onto your phone or your cycling computer. And that's one of the things that we've actually got linked to um, the book on um, on our website on dk.com is um, mm. is a list of those. So we've got one of the GPX routes for, for every single ride so that you're not just reading about, you get to read about the ride um, in in the book itself and then you can go and download the route and that gives you like a helping hand to, to navigate while you're on the road. Brilliant. And that, that sort of, yeah, uh, is your... Uh, the book is almost with you every step of the way in that regard then. Yeah, exactly, yeah. That's really cool. And um, uh, could you uh, guys sort of tell us a little bit about some of your favourite uh, rides from the book personally? Are you, are you actually planning to take any? Uh, start with you, Elspeth. <laughs> yes, well, this was... I talked about this in my last podcast appearance. Um, I do have plans to do the Lawn Lass Cymru in Wales, which is basically mm. cycling from Cardiff to Holyhead. Um was thinking about doing it this year but I'm not sure I think I need a bit more training because it's quite hilly so <laughs> need a bit of practice build up the legs and then and then go for that one I think yeah that, that that's a really really impressive one I think um it kind of covers like the whole sort of uh co- is it the sort of coast of Wales um it's, it, it goes, kind of goes around it goes up through the middle and then kind of I think it's sort of halfway or towards the t- like then you sort of peel over to the coast and the last bits all the way along the coast it looks beautiful from from the pictures that i've seen cool um and uh i'm quite surprised you haven't been tempted to do any sort of safari ones as well because there's a couple of safari routes in there elspeth yes um I- elspeth is our kind of rel- <laughs> uh, you know resident uh safari expert <laughs> in dk <laughs> Yeah, there's a um, mountain bike safari one in Botswana, which I have to say is quite high on my wish list. Um, it just sounds so different. And mm. yeah, a bit scary because I mean, the thought of kind of cycling next to a lion sounds just like total madness. But apparently <laughs> if, because uh, you have to go out in a group and so when you're all cycling along in a big group, you look like a sort of much bigger predator. So the, the lion's scared of you. So it doesn't attempt to eat you. <laughs> fingers crossed no that's uh that, that that's quite an incredible route and yeah i think probably does take a tiny bit of bravery slightly um and how about you rachel because you've recently moved to scotland as well so you were talking about potentially doing uh i think that's the apple cross peninsula yeah loop, the apple cross peninsula loop which is yeah that's the bialakana the climb is um is part of that so that's definitely yeah that's definitely on my list and then i think the other one that i want to do which is it's actually terrible. I haven't done it yet. Is um, is the C to C? So that's the one that goes from mm. um, Whitehaven on the let me get the coasts right west coast. Yes, that's <laughs> right. To um, to then Tynemouth, I think it is on the um, the east coast. So in in yep. the north of England, because um, I'm from the um, the North Pennines originally, and the route actually passes through the village that I grew up in. So it's it's yeah, it's pretty terrible that I haven't I haven't done it yet, but. Um, but it just looks absolutely beautiful. You so you get to go through um, the the like rolling scenery of the Lake District, and you mm. get to see all the mountains and like the the sheep speckled fields and things like that. Um, and then you go actually up onto the um, over the moorland, um, which is like quite quite bleak but beautiful at the same time. Uh, so you get you get to travel through like a variety of of different landscapes, and it just sounds yeah, it sounds spectacular. So that one for close to home. But then I think as well, probably the um, the Pacific Coast route in the US. 
Yes, yeah. Which is, I mean... That, about, that's big, that's yeah, big. Yeah, Epic it's Rides. A... Talk about training, I'll need a lot of training for that. Um, <laughs> so that's like, I think it's over two, two and a half um, thousand kilometers. And it runs from Washington through, um, Washington State through Oregon, um, and then down into California. But you've got like stunning coastal scenery uh, all the way down. So that's that's definitely one for the uh, for the bucket list. But yeah, I'll need a bit of I'll need a bit of training and preparation for that. I think. Yeah, that's really really serious. There's so many different cities, kind of valleys and stuff that you go through. Uh, some some really sort of like different style roads as well by the looks of it. Um, yeah, I I think that the ter- like the the terrain in terms of like the um the the amount of like ascent you're doing and stuff varies quite a bit. I think sometimes you're just winding along by the coast and then other times there's quite like sharp sharp and steep um like challenging climbs there as well. But you get you get to go along Big So, which I think is listed as one mm-hmm. of the most scenic um scenic drives in the world and obviously makes for quite a quite a scenic cycle as well but yeah you've and that's got, right towards the end as well isn't it yeah i think that's quite yeah that's quite close towards the end so hopefully you'll get to cruise along there and even if your legs are feeling a, a little bit tired i think it's what it's what it's one of my best bits of the book correct me if this is wrong um because i've lost my copy because i had to give it to a courier uh, well i had to give it to someone to do a photo shoot <laughs> and i haven't got it back yet um but but uh, but uh uh, at the end of the uh, Pacific Coast route, there's like a little. If you want to take this further, and it's like, okay, this is two and a half thousand <laughs> kilometers, <laughs> and you can take it further by going into Mexico and stuff. But surely, surely, that's a brave person. <laughs> yeah, I think that you can. Um, I think you can go further south. I think you can actually join up with one of the the other routes that like runs through. Well, there's a route that goes all the way down through mm. um, South America, but you can also start in. Um, in British Columbia as well, I think, and then go from wow. Vancouver down to Seattle. Just yeah, just if you want a little bit of uh, <laughs> of extra kilometres. <laughs> That's so cool. And so there, there, there's a hundred rides in total. I think it's over over six different continents. Um, were there any in particularly in, in particular that kind of massively surprised you? Because there's some I I had no idea about in some places I had no idea about. I didn't know that. You know, for instance, there's a cycle through the Chen Shan Mountains in in Kyrgyzstan. That sounds unbelievable. That is a totally different way to see something. I think maybe the one that that I think shocked the whole team the most um, was the Tour d'Afrique, which goes from um, Cairo um, in mm. Egypt down to Cape Town in South Africa, and that's I think that's talk about long rides. That's like over 11,000 kilometers or something like that. And you're going through multiple different countries. I mean, the, the variety of like experience that you get along the way would be absolutely amazing. But, yeah, um, sure. but yeah, I think that that's supposed to take um, uh, about three months to do. So a lot of days, a lot of days in the saddle. That, that was definitely one that we were all like, wow, that is the most <laughs> epic trip. <laughs> that's yeah it's it's quite unbelievable um cool well thank you very much for uh for joining us telling us a bit about the book and yeah we uh well look forward to taking some of those routes or hearing about you taking some of those routes as well <laughs> fingers crossed yeah, yeah we'll keep you posted <laughs>
Covering 100 incredible routes, Ride, the new book from DK Witness, is the perfect way to start cycling the world, whether you're an experienced road cyclist or have just started cycling in lockdown. All inspiring images and compelling descriptions of each ride will have you ready to jump in the saddle, while handy maps, elevation profiles and practical information will help you plan the nitty gritty of your trip. Get 25% off when you get the book at WH Smith. Simply head to whsmith.co.uk or find the book via the link in our episode bio. So after hearing from our editors, we'll now speak to two of the writers behind the book. Uh, so we're speaking to Jenny Tuff and Tom Owen, both kind of uh, very experienced cycling writers. Um, and we're going to f- basically find out a bit more about some of their favourite routes from the book, as well as uh, some of their sort of advice for, uh, for cyclists. First up is Jenny Tuff, a cyclist, adventurer, storyteller and mountain lover. And yes, that is her real name. Uh, as she boldly claims on her website. Um, Jenny's adventuring is not just by bike either. She's fast-packed across mountain ranges across the world, and she recently edited the book Tough Women, Adventure Stories, Stories of Grit, uh, featuring adventure stories from women all over the world. So, welcome Jenny. Hi, Jenny. Hey, thanks for having me. Thanks so much for joining us, and thanks for for joining us to discuss um, uh, Ride Cycle the World. Um, So... You, Jenny, you wrote quite a few epic journeys in uh, in Ride Cycle the World. So um, you did uh, the Atlas Mountains and the Chen Shan Mountains and um, and the Dinaric Alps as well. So so kind of a, a bit of an adventurous theme going on. But do you have a particular favourite? I know that that's that must be a bit like picking between your children, right? I was literally just going to say, like, ask me to pick a favorite child. Um, yeah, those rides all have really fond places in my heart. Um, and I also contributed Vancouver Island, which is yes, actually, I think, yeah. the one that stands out to me right now because that mm. was my only real pandemic ride that I got to do because I, my folks are on Vancouver Island and that's where I spent last summer. So I finally got to break out and that was the only ride that I could really do. You know, you can travel anywhere else. Um, and then I just had this amazing, from the front door adventure and after so many Mm. years of doing as you say like these epic ones you know going around to central asia and africa and to actually do a ride from my front door and find all that stoke that i've traveled the world to find was was really rewarding it was a really amazing experience that's really cool uh could you tell us a little bit about what you sort of what you found in a bit of a preview to the to the route yeah so i mean vancouver island it's um, if you look at a map of Canada, it looks really small, but mm. then if you maybe scale over the size of Britain, it's actually really big. <laughs> um, so it was, um, it's not a very populated island. Once you get out of, so the capital city is on the very southern tip, Victoria. Um, once you get out of that capital city, things get quiet really quickly. I think I was 22 or 23 minutes into the ride when I saw my first black bear. So oh, wow. you're like, yeah, I mean, it's proper Canada. <laughs> you're just thrust into the wilderness immediately. Um, and it was really funny because I'd just come back from, from Britain and I lived in Scotland for nine years and you just get really nonchalant because there's no wildlife in Britain. And I remember <laughs> just like, yeah, I'm just a few minutes into this ride and then just suddenly there's a bear on the trail and I'm like, oh, right, you're home now. This is what it's like. You need to have your wits about you. That's is the amazing. bear spray actually somewhere accessible? Can I, can I remember how to survive in Canada? Did, did, how, did, how did you avoid the bear? Do you have any tips about avoiding, avoiding bears on a bike? 
Yeah, so so black bears are actually they're the worst. They won't even wait around for photographs. They're so shy. So black yeah. bears will run away from assuming they don't have cubs. I mean, if you see a black bear with cubs, um you've got problems, basically. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But um if it's just a black bear that's just eaten in the bushes, um, they don't want to see you any more than you wanna see them. Um so it makes noise. Like I usually just change gears and my bike's usually loud enough that I can just kind of like make some mechanical noises and they'll they'll sprint off into the bushes, but yeah, I mean, you can't even get a photo of them. They don't, they don't want to hang out. Yeah, yeah, okay, that's good to know. Um, and and actually, like a bit, a bit further into the, you were saying about kind of getting into Wild Canada. Um, what kind of what kind of scenery did you get there? Um, you get a really good mix of the best of the West Coast. So I think when people picture the West Coast of Canada, they picture just intense greenery. You know, these really native forests that. Mm. Um, are so dense and so vast. I mean, it's hard to appreciate the scale of wilderness of a place like Canada, when, especially when you compare it to Europe. I mean, yeah. it's the second biggest country in the world and has a really small population. So you do get that intensity of being in, in a really vast wilderness um, and really beautiful wildlife. You know, the bears are awesome, but there's also, if you look skywards, you know, I saw bald eagles all the time and they make wow. the most beautiful calls. I love listening to them. Um, a few times I was down by the coast and I saw seals, I saw otters. I tried really hard to see orcas because you will see them every now and then, but I, I didn't get them on this ride, but I have plenty of times in the past. Um, you know, you're just spoiled when it comes to the wilderness that you're getting. So it's, yeah, I mean, it was just especially that I did this during the pandemic. So everyone's stress mm-hmm. levels are a little bit higher and you've been indoors way more than you're used to. Yep. Yep. Um, you know that, concept of forest bathing i just really realized i was having that in a really intense level like i just felt so good and so calm to be surrounded by that much nature and just in endless quantities because how, how how sort of long into the pandemic was this uh was it was it sort of towards the beginning or um had you had a couple of months inside yeah this was i guess during our respite so this was i must have done last ride in june mm. so we been through a full lockdown we'd come out of lockdown and um had the summer where remember we just thought things were gonna be better <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah like oh the summer's here and we're fine this I remember little... it very 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 well <laughs> yeah exactly so it was it was my break out of jail it was like lockdown's out and i've got a bike and i'm going <laughs> i mean what a place to break break out into as well that's uh totally. that's that's quite fascinating. And were the kind of routes like quite easy to follow? Um, uh, was the cycling sort of how, what kind of difficulty level was it? Yeah, so that's the unique thing about um, most of Canada, but especially the island, is that there just aren't that many roads or routes that you can take. So you pretty much mm. can't mess this up. Like if yep. you get lost on the island, I think you've just won a prize. Like, <laughs> you know, we have one main highway that goes north to south. And then off of that, we have... Um, they're called FSRs, fire service roads. So they're all gravel roads that some of them are in commission by the forestry service and a lot of them are not. So then you get a lot more potholes on those ones. Um, but yeah, they're, they're gravel and they're not going anywhere. They go into the forest and they come back out. Um, and I mean, if you kind of picture Norway, like really fjordy. So there's mm. actually so much coastline that traveling on land is quite limited. So yeah. yeah, there's just not a lot of route options. You can pretty much take the road version or the off-road version. 
Um, the off-road version, you can definitely get some very challenging gravel segments with some fantastic climbs, and, and that's the stuff that I love the most yep. in cycling. Um, and the road is is really straightforward. You'll see a lot of lycra-clad roadies <laughs> just out sprinting across that highway because it's you know it's a really well-maintained, straight, relatively flat road. So so you've got the options. Fantastic! It sounds it sounds amazing. Um, well, and and just incredible to have that on your front door as well. Um, and as we sort of mentioned, like as well as you, you know, you you do do a lot of kind of adventure cycling and and uh, seem to have a, a crazy fondness for going uphill as well. Uh, but do you have any kind of uh, for for people who are read uh, sort of readers of ride and like kind of um, uh, might be setting out on their first kind of bike packing? trip i i hate that word but i can't think of a better one um uh, um, uh do you have any kind of advice or, or or tips um yeah i think my first thing would be pack less than you feel comfortable with so maybe yep. put out all the stuff that you're going to bring and then remove at yep. least a couple of items um that's something that, I mean, I still, and I've been doing this for more than a decade and it still gives me anxiety. You get used to all your stuff and your comfort and then you pack and you're like, well, I'll definitely want this. I'll definitely want that. Yep. Um, a few hours down the trail, especially when you're hauling all that heavy stuff up the hill, <laughs> you just think like, I don't care about that sweater. Like, what is that sweater to me? I'll throw it in the garbage right now. So just don't bring that sweater. <laughs> just so, so all I'm saying. be minimalist, kind of take be everything. Be minimalist. That you- yeah, exactly. I mean, within the realms of safety, please bring a waterproof and sunscreen and a phone charger and all that kind of stuff. Like, Food, let, let me obviously, get that PSA as well. I'm, I'm guessing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, and um, you've kind of written um, as well as cycling. You also do some really, really epic kind of like uh, hiking, running, um, everything else. And you've written a book. Uh, well, not uh, sort of edited a book about it called um, uh, Tough Women. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, um, that was, I think, the project I'm most proud of in my career so far. Um, it basically came about that, you know, I work in the outdoor industry as a freelancer and mm-hmm. I get to give talks and go on podcasts. And I always get asked the question, why are there not more women in adventure? Mm-hmm. And it always stumps me because, like, I've been in the adventure industry for so long and, and most of the people I work with are women. They're everywhere. Mm-hmm. But I think it's at the top level media you know i would blame television the most um but also bookshops that you just see one demographic representing outdoor sports and adventure Mm -hmm. um and that means we're also only getting one narrative one type of outdoor enthusiasm so um so i came up with the idea of a book but i knew all these amazing women who are full-time in the outdoor industry some of them are athletes some of them are photographers Mm -hmm. creatives business women you know, lots of different types of women who explore the outdoors in different ways and do it as a career. And so I put together this anthology. So every woman's written a short story about her experiences in the outdoors. And, and it's not, it's not a rant. It's not an essay. It's just some, a collection of really cool adventure stories that all happen to be written by women. That sounds so cool. Well, I can't, I'm looking very much forward to reading that. And, oh, awesome. um, uh, and, uh, yeah, I think it's, uh, it's available in bookstores as well. Um, but uh, before before we we leave you, I just wanted to quickly ask. You mentioned about living in Scotland as well, and um, uh, do you have any particular favourite cycle rides in Scotland that you've taken? Ooh, um, the Cairngorm Loop is always a goodie. 
I think if I have cool. a weekend that I can get out, um, Kangaroo Loop is just a bit more accessible because you can obviously take the train to somewhere like Abbeymore. Yep. Um, and then you're just instantly out into the Kangaroo You can bothy it if you, I mean, I think the bothies are still shut, but you know, you can yep. bothy it if you want to. You can wild camp in Scotland anywhere. Um, the paths are amazing. Oh, yeah. Kangaroo Loop. Yeah. Go do it if you haven't done it. Sounds great. Sounds amazing. Well, thank you very much, Jenny. Thanks for joining us. And um, thanks for having me. No, it's super early over there, so so uh, much much appreciated. <laughs> I've got coffee. <laughs> very good. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm lip fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. And now we'll speak to Tom Owen, who is a cyclist who caught the berg when commuting on his bicycle in London. Since then, he's been spermonic hunting, and we'll get to what that means in a bit, but he did it in North Macedonia, and uh, has also been racing in Sierra Leone amongst travelling the world, basically, on his bike. Tom writes about cycling for platforms such as the Fausto Agency, the Telegraph, and Vice. So without further ado, um, hi Tom, welcome Tom. Hello James. Hey, nice, lovely to have you join, join us today um all the way from sunny cambridge yeah it's my pleasure i'm really uh really excited to talk to you about um the ride from ride yeah yeah so um uh so we did ask you to kind of pick out uh one of your favorite rides from the book um and you've actually wrote a couple um uh, uh that, have, that have been featured um so i'm really really interested to know which one you've kind of uh um narrowed it down to yeah so um the one that i think i'm the most proud of i would say was um the spermenic themed yes. ride around macedonia north macedonia you should call yep. it by its proper name um so a spermenic for people that don't know it means monument and um they were a collection of kind of brutalist concrete sculptures that were mm. put up in the period 
when um, North Macedonia is part of Yugoslavia. Um, so <laughs> these Spomenics are actually not just in North Macedonia, they're um, all over former Yugoslavia and they're really quite amazing things to look at and we thought that Macedonia seemed like a kind of manageable country to do a tour of mm-hmm. or indeed a lap. So the, the name that we gave the trip among ourselves was Lapadonia. Um, <laughs> and it's about 700 kilometers of riding mm-hmm, and you mm-hmm, begin mm-hmm. and finish in the capital city of Skopje. And I think it comprises about 15 of these spomenics and they're all mm. completely different from one another. They're, uh, they have different architects, they have different provenance. They're almost all war memorials kind of commemorating mm-hmm. something that happened in the second world war. But, um, it was just the most eye opening uh, trip to 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 be within Europe, and you know the the, the southern border is is Greece, mm. um, and then Bulgaria to the to the east. But it felt like being kind of otherworldly. It felt like um, kind of going back in time. But uh, yeah, really, really, just an amazing journey. Yeah, because it is some of that journey is kind of in the wilderness, right? And there's like um, there's lots of wildlife. There's lots of um, uh, it's. it's it does it's sort of like an unseen bit of europe in a way isn't it yes it's a very it's got one massive massive tourist draw which is lake orid yes um, yeah. it's a huge inland lake and it's incredibly beautiful and if you're on the macedonian mm. side you can see the mountains in albania across it and it's it's really ethereal and beautiful and it's a big draw lots of people go there and there are kind of beachy resorts um along the lake but there are also huge expanses of it that are just de- completely depopulated. Um, a couple of national parks and mm-hmm. um, a wild a wild wolf population and a wild bear population. Um, we didn't see any wolves, but we did see a bear on the first yeah, I was, night. I was, I was going to say I've heard about this. Um, was it on your first night? What happened? So we set off from Skopje and we made pretty good time. We were quite surprised by the heat i know that sounds incredibly naive mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but we knew we had seen the numbers on the weather forecast and we did and it just didn't translate in our heads to just how hot and how how much hard work it would be so we reached um mavrovo national park which mm-hmm. is to the it's right on the western border of the country and uh, the sun was still quite high in the sky and we thought we'd stop and have dinner and then we'd find somewhere to camp and so we enjoyed our first dinner in the country we ate we ate really well um had a few glasses of macedonian red wine and then we thought <laughs> oh no we've got to got to quickly find somewhere to sleep because we were traveling with with bivy bags so we're sleeping mm. on the roadside mostly and yeah we were going down this mountain and it was it's quite a steep descent and we were just looking for any sort of lay-by where it might be a little bit flat and we could put our sleeping bags down and, and get some kip and we found one eventually and it was really quite dark by then. So we thought it's not ideal, but we'll, we'll stay here. And then just as we were kind of putting, rolling things out and getting set up to go to sleep, um, the photographer who was with us, who took the pictures in, in ride, um, Mm. Matt Grayson, he just peered over the, the gorge into the, into the kind of the valley below. And he, he sort of went, is that a bear? And (laughs) me and the other cyclists were like, no, come on, don't be ridiculous. And we went and we all kind of stood on the edge of this this ledge looking down into this this beautiful mountain gorge. And, at, and sure enough, at the bottom, there was a, a bear, a fully 
adult-sized bear just kind of rumbling along and we thought we're quite high up and we're quite far away and it doesn't seem to be aware of us but it would be such a bad start to wake up (laughs) three hours and and find this bear right by you know right where we were so we had to get back on our bikes and and try and put some distance between us and and he or she um this bear and yeah quite an eye-opening first first day in that's a really really quick way of getting that macedonian red wine to to wear off i guess right (laughs) (laughs) or feel it more i don't know um but yeah and it sounds like i I mean you obviously completed the trip and 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 you've written about it in in ride um but did you kind of like make the route did you have the route planned or did you improvise slightly or um we had, I would say, 90% of it. We knew what we were going to do. Mm. Um, Google Street View is, I'm sure several of your guests will have mentioned it as this incredible tool for, for planning bikepacking trips. Um, we also use Komoot, which is a kind mm. of, it's very good at telling you what sort of road surface might be yeah. there, yeah. Um, which, is, which is obviously handy. We were riding road bikes, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and we knew about 90% of it, and there were a few places that weren't on Google Street View. So we had no idea what they were, and we thought, this looks amazing. Based on the topography and the kind of the squiggles in the road, this could be amazing. And there were a couple of those where we, we reached it, and we thought, this isn't, this isn't going to work. You know, it's a gravel track, and it's basically vertical um, or just really, really busy trafficked roads and things. So mm. we knew 90% of what we were going to do and had it on our, on our GPS computers, and we're just following that. But... Um, yes it still felt very much like a, a journey into the unknown and, and there were plenty of surprises well thanks very much for kind of writing it down in ride and, and documenting it as well i think it's it's certainly for me it stands out as one of the um the sort of more surprising ones of the routes and i didn't know what a spimenic was as well uh beforehand so very educational too um some of them look really really kind of space age and stuff as well did you have like a particular favorite a favourite spermenic. Um, yeah. I there is a town in the middle of the country um, called Khrushchevo. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Um, and it's it's enormous. Um, most of them are fairly. They're, they're kind of a, a monument or a statue kind of size, if that mm-hmm, makes sense. Mm-hmm, but this one is enormous, and it has rooms within it. It's um, oh, it's wow. now used as a a museum. Mm. So you can go and you can find out a little bit more about the history of sort of, I think it's a history of the the resistance fighters based in Yugoslavia during the Second World War, but I would have to check. Mm-hmm. It was closed when we were there, but it, it, it's it's huge. It's absolutely huge. And it's a, it's a sort of white sphere suspended about 10 feet off of the ground. And it has this huge um, concrete walkway up to the, up to the door. And it's like standing at the bottom of a ramp into a UFO. That's the only <laughs> thing that I can describe it as. Like architecturally, it doesn't look like anything I've ever seen before. That's super intriguing. I think I've seen a picture of this one, and it, I, I, I agree, it looks it looks in, amazing. I can't imagine what that would be like facing it in real life as well. Yeah, we slept there too, um, so oh. it, we got to see it twice. Um, it's um, in a kind of quite well kept garden sort of in in the you know away from the center of Kosheba so we were able to sleep there and see it in the morning as well and that was it was nice to be able to kind of double up like that with a few of them 
That's great. That's that's awesome. Um, so, yeah, if you want to find, if you want to read all about Tom's trip and 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 potentially plan your own spermenic hunt, uh, <laughs> then you can uh, can and ride. Um, and Tom, I just wanted to kind of also ask: um, Do you have for anyone any readers who might be planning their sort of first um, uh, sort of bike packing trip or cycling trip? Do you have any kind of like top tips, like things that you did? You talked about sort of sleeping at ro- on roadsides and stuff. Do you have uh, any advice with that? Yeah, I think you have to be kind of quite respectful of the, the the way of doing things in that particular country. I've done most of my bikepacking in Spain and, and the attitude there is very much kind of, you know, let them get on with things. Um, mm. If you're if you're sleeping in a hedge, make sure you don't leave any litter in the hedge and and, and be yeah. respectful. And then you're, you're always going to be met with a kind of curiosity rather than hostility. And I think that goes for most places um, around around the world that I've, I've cycled or, or done bikepacking trips in. Um, I would say you'd never regret spending more money on a sleeping bag. Yeah. But there are I can imagine that. situations where you regret not spending enough. Like I've been in that position and it's not, it's not enjoyable. It's not <laughs> worth the, it's not worth saving the 40 pounds that you saved. <laughs> Do you just have like kind of uh, re- like buyer's regret afterwards uh oh yeah. completely yeah you think why am i lying here in this ditch in four <laughs> in the morning unable to sleep because my knees are knocking together um and you mentioned a bit about um sort of cycling in spain is that one of your favorite countries to cycle in or do, do you have a kind of favorite country to cycle in yeah absolutely it, it's by far and away my favorite um i think converse to kind of um macedonia which people don't really know about and a lot of people when i told them i was going there they they said where is it yeah um but spain is is kind of the opposite it's right there under our noses and yet there's so much unseen spain you know wild Mm. green spain rainy north atlantic spain and, and all these places that aren't um sangria on the beach or paella and these kind of I I love sangria on the beach. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, yeah, it's just yeah. um, I think that Spain <laughs> is undersold in terms of what you can find there, and these vast um, pine forests that go as far as you can you can see in places like that. So that is my ultimately my absolute favourite place to to ride bikes and to do bike packing trips. Fantastic. Well, thanks very much for joining us, Tom. Um, that was that was brilliant and, and really, really inspirational too. Um, uh, you can catch up with Tom and all of his cycling exploits uh, on Twitter over at TomOwenCC. And uh, thanks once again, Tom. Thanks for joining us. And thanks for all your work on Ride as well. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. So once again, a massive thank you to our guests, Rachel, Elspeth, Tom and Jenny. Uh, That was brilliant. And thank you all for joining us. Uh, Join us again next time where we'll whisk you off to um, a place slightly close to home for us here in the UK. It's Cornwall. Uh, So Lucy will be back. uh, So it won't just be me by myself. But we'll also be joined by the fantastic author, Raina Wynn. So author of The Salt Path and uh, The Wild Silence. So she'll be talking to us all about Cornwall and the Southwest Coast Path and all of the sort of wonderful part of the world around there so um in the meantime uh stay safe and we shall be back in a fortnight uh we'll see you then thank you very much listener
This special episode of Where to Go was produced by the team at DK Witness and Julia Baker, presented by James Atkinson. If you've liked what you've heard so far, please like, subscribe and rate our show on wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about DK Witness, follow us on social media at DK Witness or visit dk.com forward slash eyewitness. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.